You know, over the last number of weeks, about the last, almost the last, well, today would be the last eight weeks, we've actually been in two series. And uh, the first series was six weeks long, and it was called Headspace. And coming out of that series, uh, as I was praying, and I really began to just was asking the Lord, okay, what's the direction? And because, uh, you know, it's important that I preach you and teach you the Word of God. Uh, but more importantly, it's that I tell you what God is speaking to my heart and uh, concerning our church. And so, you know, even in, with the idea of headspace, and we, if you weren't here, I would encourage you to jump on the podcast. You can get on YouTube. You can get on Facebook. You can go back and rewatch those messages because we're really talking about how to keep your mind straight in a world that is upside down. And, uh, you know, but one of the ways that I believe that we can do this and how do we keep our um, our, our mindset and our, our, our focus in the right place is through worship. And uh, so I really felt like as we were coming out of that series that we were to be, uh, to move in this direction. But there's, that's, so that was one aspect of this series. But another aspect is I believe that we need to take our, our worship to another level in our church. And uh, because something happens when the church begins to worship together. And so I know this, if I teach you how we can worship we can worship at a greater degree and a greater level. And, you know, and the thing is, and I, I talked about this last week, is that God responds when people worship. You know, and it's important because it's more than the song service. It's more than just the songs before somebody gets up and talks for a few minutes. It's more than the, the, the box that we check or however much time we take for a, a message. But let me give you a, a, just a little bit of a, a, a thought process of why I preach in series. And um, number one, because we forget, including myself, you know, it's always funny to me when somebody's like, hey, what'd you preach last week? And I'm like, uh, and I'm the one up here talking, right? What'd you preach two weeks ago? Mm, that's a good, one. let me get back to you on that. But what happens is that we can forget. But so that is one part. If we can cover it over multiple services, multiple weeks, it helps us remember. But there is a part that, hey, we want to help you to know when to invite people. Because not every series is necessarily somebody a series that you want to bring somebody who maybe doesn't know the Lord, although I would encourage you to bring somebody to church anytime. But there are strategic times, specific times that we will uh, communicate about a series so that you can invite people. That's when we give you like those little invite cards like we did for Headspace. You know, it looked very similar to the Easter invite, but those are specific times that we're encouraging. Hey, Bring your friends with you on that day. So that's one reason we do it. The second reason that I teach in series is this, is that I want to unpack concepts and truths that I can't do in a single message. I'm just not that good. So I stretch it out over a few weeks. And, uh, and I believe that this helps us, but it also allows me to go a little bit more in depth. And it gives us the time to absorb the truths. Because, and that's one reason why I will recap from the previous week, for one, I know not everybody in this room right now was here last Sunday. But I don't want to re-preach last Sunday's message either. But I do want to give us an, or some ideas that we can all be on the same page so that we can move forward. But let me give you an example. This is much like a TV series. On, have you ever like, had a show that you watched, but you missed an episode? And you're like, what is going on? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Me and Dare used to have this one particular show, and it was kind of like crime and drama. And if you missed a single episode, you were lost. You had no idea what was going on, and it was just because you'd start watching the show, and you're like, we must have missed something because none of this is making sense. It was one of those just the plot twisted all the time, multiple times in an episode. And, you know, sometimes a sermon series can be that way. And so, like, today I may share some things, and I may even uh, make references to last week, and you say, I'm a little confused. 
I've got good news for you. You can go back and rewatch last week. And so this is why we use technology. We leverage technology to our advantage. And so not everybody can be here every weekend. We have people that are at work right now. And so they're not able to come and participate. But hey, it's available on YouTube and Facebook and podcast. And so the way you get to all of that is that you can just search Life United Lake Charles. Wherever you go, if it's on a podcast, you can search that. If it's on Facebook, you can search our page. YouTube, you can search our page as well. And you can locate all of our services that way. And so I just want to let you know about that. And so today I'm going to continue along the lines of uh, what a, a message that I started last week about worship. And I believe that this is very important. And so worship is not a song. It's not just what we were just doing. Worship is a matter of the heart. And it does have to do with the words that we sing. It does have to do. But it's not so much about the words of our mouth as much as it is the attitude of our heart as we worship. And so, you know, and I realize, and I talked about this some last week. But the truth of it is, is that we are all worshipers. Worship is not some people's thing. No different than prayer is some people's thing. Because you can say, well, I don't pray. You just ain't been in a tough enough spot yet. Because trust me, when you get in a tight spot, you will pray. You're like, I don't know how to pray. I'm going to figure it out real quick. Like, Jesus, help me. Amen. That's a prayer. And what happens and what can happen is that we can say, well, this is somebody else's thing. Well, I'm not really a Bible person. I'm not really a a prayer person. I'm not really a worship person. Yes, you are. You just don't know it. You don't know the advantage and the impact that all of those attributes, and they're actually spiritual disciplines, what they will produce in your life when you will participate with them. But there's, there's, what happens is that we don't participate and we say, well, it doesn't do anything for me. That's like saying, I'm going to sit on the couch, but I, I know going to the gym is good for me. And I'm going to get better looking. I'm going to feel better just because I ain't do it. It's not going to work. You're going to have to what? apply yourself to some things. And so this is really what we're talking about. And so you are actually hardwired for worship. Because the question is not, will you worship? The question is, is what will you worship? Because you will worship something. Your heart, I mean, we are all built with affections and desires and longings. And there are things that have our affections. And sometimes those are things, those can be people, they can be any number of things. And so last week we talked about this. And so in John chapter 4, verses 21 through 24, I'm not going to read it, but uh, Jesus was teaching and made the statement. And he said that God is looking for people who would worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. In other words, not hiding anything, being wide open to God, saying, God, whatever you want to do in this moment, I'm here for you. Like worship isn't about us. And we can make it about us. Some of the the worship songs that we were just singing is that, God, I want nothing else but you. Like, God, forgive me for what I've made worship because I made my worship about me and what I can get from you. And no, worship is about the Lord. And so really we have to understand, and this is why worship matters. Because whoever or whatever has your worship has your heart. God is after your heart. He ain't after the words coming out of your mouth. But worship matters. And so you're like, well, hey, what is worship? By definition, it means to exalt, to proclaim, to give value, or to give worth to. Now, some of the attributes, in other words, if you're going to worship, 
and you're going to connect with the heart of God, this is what it's going to require from you? Is that it's going to require some abandonment on your part. You're going to have to lose focus on you. Not think about yourself a little bit. And you're going to have to be willing to become vulnerable before the Lord. Now, just using that word, some of you are like, nope, I'm out. I don't do that. If you only knew, if you only knew how much you could actually trust the Lord and how good he actually is, you would have no problem being vulnerable with him. The problem comes is that we don't trust him in reality. So we put up walls. And yet in worship, that's our time to kind of break the walls down and just say, Lord, I'm going to open up myself to you. And that can be scary, and I don't deny that, and I get it. And last week I shared with you some very practical things about how to worship. Like, what does that mean? What do I do? And I talked about raising your hands, clapping your hands. You're like, well, why do you do all that? Nobody has problems doing that at a concert. Be like, you ever been to a concert? You know what I'm saying? Everybody's doing this. Everybody's jumping around, and that's okay there. We go to a sporting event, and people lose their minds. But we get in church, and last week... This was just totally off the cuff. But I was, you know, we come to church and we look like we've been sucking on a pickle. And we wonder. And we wonder why people are like, that just don't look that enjoyable. Because it's not. (laughs) But it doesn't have to be like that. And so we can actually be very passionate in our worship. And so here's a truth that I I want you to grab hold of. And then I'm going to give you a passage of scripture that will... Even back this up a little bit and how it applies to you. If you really knew how good God is and what he's done for you, you couldn't help but worship him. If you really knew, because the problem comes, because again, I I mentioned this a few minutes ago. Our number one goal for every single one of you is to actually really know God. Not about him, not theories about him, not your past about him, not what somebody else told you about him, but to truly know him very personally where he's real to you. We want you to know him, but when you really know him and when you understand what he's actually done for you, worship's easy. It's not hard. It's not complicated. It's actually pretty simple. But the problem is is that we lose sight of who God is and we lose sight of our own sin. We lose sight of who Jesus saved us from and who he has called us to be. And so now worship shifts from being about what he has done and it begins to focus upon what, who we are. And so sometimes we, we see people and they lift their voices a little louder. or they, they begin to jump around a little bit and it's like, oh, we don't do that in church. We ain't that kind of church, okay? Now, if you're trying to draw attention to yourself, I may ask you to simmer down. Why? Because, again, your worship is not in the focus. Let me just give you an example. If somebody wanted to come dance across the front of the stage, this is, I'm just going to be honest with you, I'm going to ask you to go do that in the back. And you're like, why? Because you're drawing attention here, and it's a distraction to other people. Since I'm here, I'll go ahead and offend somebody. 
If you had an issue with me asking you to go back there, it just reveals your heart to me. Yeah. It got real quiet all of a sudden on that. It's like, oh, shoot. Now, there's nothing wrong with an expression of worship. I talked about this last week. Sometimes our emotions get involved. Well, who gave you those emotions? God is not like distracted or upset by your emotions. Can you imagine living a life with no emotion? Life will be very bland and boring. God gave you those emotions. And and sometimes God will, even in God's presence, it will strike something in our emotions and we will respond You know, that's actually spiritual too. It's not just emotional. Let me give you an example of this, going back to what this truth that I just shared with you about. If you really knew how good God was and what he's done for you, let me give you an example of this in Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read you three verses here. Give you the context. Jesus goes to eat at a religious elite's house. So he's there and while he's there, It's a guy named Simon and he comes in, he sits down, they're eating together and this woman named Mary walks in and the Bible says that she begins to wash Jesus' feet with her tears and wiping his feet with her hair, which was actually customary. Simon should have done this because they wore sandals, they walked on dirt roads. So before, if you want a clean house, hey, wash your feet before you come in. It would be the equivalent of us today saying like, hey, could you take your shoes off? I got my carpet clean and I'd like to keep it that way. And... um, you know, and, and so, uh, but this lady, the Bible says that she's an immoral woman. And Simon has the thought and says, man, if Jesus was really a man of God, he wouldn't let her touch him. I could give some modern vocabulary, but I will restrain myself. She is a fill in the blank. That's what he's thinking. And Jesus responds and says, he responds with a story. Actually, he tells Simon, he says, Simon, I'd like to tell you something. Simon's like, bring it on. Like, I got Jesus is in my house. Yet this kind of crazy woman's in here crying and doing all this craziness of anointing his feet and his head. And even the disciples are going, man, this is such a waste. The scriptures tell us that the, the, the oil that she used was a year's salary. You remember Judas had stole from and betrayed Jesus? His thought was, Something better should have been done with that money. Like some of it should have gone in my pocket is what Judas was actually thinking. And yet Jesus takes this moment and he he looks at Simon and says, hey, let me teach you something. So Jesus starts and says, it's a story about two men who were deeply in debt. One owed the bank $100,000. The other one only owed $10,000. But when it became obvious that neither of them would be able to repay their debts, the kind banker graciously wrote off the debts and forgave them all that they owed. So Jesus says, tell me, Simon, which of the two debtors would be the most thankful? Which would love the banker the most? And Simon answers and says, I suppose it would be the one with the greatest debt forgiven. And Jesus says, you're right. He agrees with him. And so what happens is that sometimes we can see people in their worship and even in the expression of their worship. And we want to outwardly judge them. 
But maybe the reality is, is we've forgotten what God has done for us and they're keenly aware of their shortcomings. And so therefore their response to their worship is very exuberant. Why? Because they realize from how far they have come. And I may not be everywhere that God wants me to be, but I can tell you what, I'm not where I used to be. And God has been faithful back then. He's been faithful along the way. God is still faithful to me to this day. And so I never want to lose sight of the goodness of God or what he has actually done for me. Because as it says here, and I love how it says, when it was obvious that neither of them would be able to repay. Let me level the playing field. None of us, Not one bit of us could ever do anything to warrant the forgiveness of your sin. Not one of us. In all of our best, the Bible says we're like a dirty, filthy rag in our righteousness, in our effort, in our abilities. Now look, I'm not just a dirty old rag. And the problem is, is that it's been taught for years and people identify with that. No, I've been recreated in Christ. I'm a new creation. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That old life is gone. I've got a new life, yes. So I'm not just that dirty old rag, but I need to remember from where I have come. And I need to have some humility about me. And so you're like, oh, you know, because it does require some humility. Well, what are people going to think if I start raising my hands in church? They ain't looking at you anyways. Let me say it this way. They shouldn't be. But yet we think, you're like, well, what's so significant about raising my hands? Surrender to the Lord. The Bible instructs us to do it. Here's the beauty of, of, of a relationship with God. You ain't got to understand everything to reap the benefits of it. Why do I have to raise my hands? Because when I do, I connect with God in a different way. How does that work? When you find out, you come let me know. How about that? You take that assignment, you go work on that and come back and then you can tell me the ins and the outs of what happens from here to here. I don't know. But it seems like it's like a hatch on my heart. That my heart becomes open. And when I begin to lift up my voice, what happens? It's not just the words that I sing. I'm actually singing them with faith from my heart. And I begin to connect with the heart of God. In verse 47 of this same passage here in Luke 7. I love how Jesus acknowledges some things about this lady. This is actually in three of the four gospels that Jesus actually talked about this. And he says, hey, what this lady has done for me. She's actually preparing me for burial. He says, but hey, people will talk about her forever now. Like the account of what she's done. People are going to talk about this. One one translation actually calls it her act of worship. That as she anointed Jesus' feet, it was her act, her expression of worship. And guess what? It cost her something. Sometimes, and I would actually beg you to consider this, is if your worship doesn't cost you anything... Is it worship? Jesus makes this statement, though, about this lady. He says that she has been forgiven of all of her many sins. One translation says it this way, that she has been given of her sin, or forgiven of her sins, though they are many. Jesus didn't bypass who she was. He just was calling her to something different. But he says, because she had many sins, this is why she has uh, shown me such extravagant love. 
But those who assume that they have little to be forgiven will love me very little. So my question for you is, is have you lost sight of where Jesus found you? Because for some of you, it may have been years and decades ago. But we've got to remember, there's only one Savior. He's worthy of our worship and of our time. And, and so last week I shared with you, and I'll ask the question again, is that what is your life oriented around? What's it focused on? What are, what are, you know, and so let me give you some specifics, because the thing is, is whatever your life orients around, that's where your worship's going to be. So you can say it this way, who has your worship and are you sure? Because I could ask you, well, hey, who do you worship? You're like, oh, I, I, I serve the Lord. I serve Jesus. Are you sure? I'm not trying to get you to question your salvation. I am trying to get you to question who is the focus of your life and what does, what, what does your world revolve around? Because this affects how and what we worship. So what? You say, well, I don't know. Well, let me help you. What takes priority in your schedule? Like, what's that thing you put on the calendar six months away when you don't plan next week? Could it be comfort? Security? Status? Experiences? Stuff? Could be lots of things. It could be people. It could be family. Like, well, how do I worship a person? Because when they call, your world stops. You're like, oh, I don't worship them. I would beg to differ. If everything changes at the drop of a hat for a person, you need to evaluate how important they are to you in relation to how important God is to you. Because God stands at the door and knocks. And we will ignore his knocking. But we can't miss that phone call. Oh, but they need me. They need Jesus. They don't need you. And sometimes we try to be Jesus by proxy, by stepping into somebody's mess and trying to save somebody. When we can't do that, we need to point them to Jesus because he is the Savior. Now, look, I'm all for helping people, but I'm not at somebody's beck and call. I don't know who that's for. That wasn't in the notes. See, my, my, and look, and please hear me when I say this, is that my goal is not to be offensive this morning. <laughs> Having said that, there are times that we need to be offended, though. Yes. There are times that we need to be offended, and in our culture, we, we can't say anything. That's offensive. Let me just say, you can't say anything because something's going to offend somebody. But when we're talking about our connection with the Lord and we're talking about worship, and, and there are times that we need to be offended. Let me give you, I'm going to use some words that we don't use in our culture a lot here, or a word specifically, but, but it's the word idol. Because an idol is something that you... You put on a pedestal. I mean, it, it, it's important, right? You're like, well, how do I know if I've got idols? Let me give you a little. 
one way that you can figure out what is. Is that you'll find your idols in the places that you find yourself most offended. I'm going to let that sit for a second. You know that thing you get real defensive about? That thing is like that hot button issue. And somebody says, hey, why do you? And all of a sudden it's like. It's like, why did I react that way? What's an idol? Anything in opposition to God. You watch TV too much. No, I don't. You do this, you do that, all these things. You spend too much money. No, I don't. Why do you always say that? Because you always spend too much money. Why? And look, and I'm not, there's a balance in that. I'm not saying we shouldn't spend, you got to spend money to live. I mean, that's kind of the purpose of money is to enjoy it, right? But not in an undue way. And so what happens is, is that a lot of times that I have found is those things that, you know, a few weeks ago, I shared with you that I'm a workaholic, right? Like, hi, my name's David. I'm a workaholic. How many of you remember that? I can become defensive about my work ethic. Is that because that's become an idol in my life? Is that part of my identity in life? And so now all of a sudden, you're like, oh, I got to do this. And and we begin to justify. So let me give you, since we're here. So we become, um, we become offended about our idols. So we become defensive about them. We, become, we begin to justify them. We begin to rationalize them. Say, well, this is the reason. Tell Jesus that. Because when the Holy Spirit puts his finger on it, he's telling you this is a barrier. In your relationship with me. And it could be one of a million things. And I've had it happen where the Lord just kind of highlights something. And look, and he is so gracious and so kind and so loving. He doesn't come with judgment. But it, and sometimes I've even, sometimes it's like, well, that's obvious. Duh. Thanks, Jesus. I already kind of knew that one. And then there's things that I'm like, really that? That's so small. That's so insignificant. But I make this minor adjustment and all of a sudden it unlocks my relationship with God. And I can experience the presence of God in a new, deeper manner. And a lot of times it's small things. It's not always big things. So even in this idea that we can even become um, more aware of what offends us many times than we are of what offends God. We might want to consider what we do that offends God. It might be a good Thing. Let me give you a, a scripture passage that David actually prayed in Psalms 139 about this. This is a, if you're like, I have no clue what to pray. You could pray this every morning. And I'm serious. You could pray this scripture every morning and it would set you up for some success. In Psalms 139 verse 23 and 24. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. God, point out anything that's a roadblock between me and you. Like anything that's offensive to you, let me know. And then lead me. If I can get the offensive things out of the way, then God can lead me into the life he has for me. And so this is important. 
Say, so, well, why do we need to ask God to point it out? Like, I don't, I don't need to know that I'm jacked up. I already know that I am. Thanks. The reason that we need to ask the Lord to point it out is because many times we can't see it and we need the Holy Spirit to reveal it to us. Because we'll say, well, that ain't an issue. You just don't see the fallout yet. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. So I'm giving you, so this first part of this message is really intended to kind of give us some context to help us to worship. So now I want to shift a little bit and I want to show you an example in scripture of why worship matters. So we ought to worship and we can worship and we're designed for worship and all of these things. And so, but here's a truth and it's that worship is so much more than a song. It's more than a moment. It's more than an experience. It truly is a lifestyle Romans 12 talks about this, offering your body, verse 2, unto the Lord as your, your whole life as an act of worship. But worship at its core is spiritual. It's not natural. You're like, yeah, but I'm singing out of my mouth. I'm forming words with my tongue and my lips. And I'm, yes, but what you're doing is it's actually is a spiritual component to what you're doing in the natural And this is important. And so let me show you this. Now I'm going to read a portion of scripture here about nine scriptures. So just stick with me. But I want to show you what this practically can look like and why your worship matters. I I shared this with you. I don't know if it was last week or a couple weeks ago. But your worship is the only thing that you alone can give to God that he doesn't already have. Only I can give God my worship. My wife can't give it for me. My mom and dad can't give it for me. I can't do it for you. Only you can give your worship to God. It's unique. That's why our our vocal cords have a certain sound. Why? Because it's a special sound to the heart of God. And just like as I am as a natural father, I was at a ball game yesterday, and yet I could hear my son and my daughter's voices in the midst of a lot of other little kids. Why? Because they have a unique voice that I know, and that one's mine. And the same thing happens in worship. We can all be in here corporately worshiping together. But when you lift your voice, God says, that one's mine. I know that voice. And the best news is, it's a beautiful sound to him. You're like, I can't sing worth anything. The Bible says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. So there you go. In Acts chapter 16, it says, this is the account of... um, of a few of the disciples, but it says one day as they were going to the place of prayer. Now, I just want to point this out. Where were they going? They going to church, okay? They going to pray. So they're doing what they should be doing. And it says that we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her, ma- for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Now, let me ask you a question. Is what she said true? Yes, what she said is true. They were coming to share the gospel, the truth of Jesus with people. They were actually coming to the church for prayer. And yet a couple days goes by, it goes, says, continues and says, they went on day after day. So this went on for days. She's walking behind them going, these are men of the most high God who's come to show you the way of salvation. I mean, over and over and over. I mean, 
Like put something on repeat like that. Just do it for two minutes. If you got a two-year-old, you already know what I'm talking about. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's just, woo! Like, stop saying that, please. It says the day after Paul, or this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated. Any parents know what I'm talking about right there? That he turned around and said to the demon within her, it wasn't this woman, she was actually being influenced, and says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. It says her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered because they were making a fortune off of her. It says so they grabbed Paul and Silas and they dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. It says the whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials. They're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. And it says that a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. Now, we don't understand the severity of that. I've actually studied what this means to be beaten with rods. They would hit you so many times with such um, fierceness that it would actually grind the bone into powder. And we're not talking about like a, okay, next from the principal's office. I'm talking about repeated beatings. They would lay you on something like this. And they wouldn't do this They would do this. So you receive the full impact. It's violent. So just so we understand what's happening in this moment. And I need you to understand this. That's why the Bible says they were severely beaten. And they were thrown into prison. It says the jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon. They put him in solitary confinement. And they clamped their feet in the stocks. I know we've had some bad days. I've not had one of these days. Okay? Let's just... But I find it very curious how Paul and Silas responded to their day. Jesus, I was going to church to pray. And now I'm here. My back is bleeding. I'm in pain. I'm hurting. And there's all of these emotions and all of these thoughts that could be going on in their mind. But it says around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying... And singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Why were the other prisoners listening? Because they thought they were crazy. They're like, bro, I'm in jail, but you got beat today. You're in there praying and you're in there singing and, and you're doing what well, this just doesn't even, it's not even make sense. It's not even logical. Then the Bible says they were singing hymns to God. They weren't singing the songs of, woe is me, oh, my back hurts. They weren't even saying, God, why would you let this happen to me? Because that's a normal expected human response. God, where are you? Why would you let this happen? We were doing the right thing and now we're being persecuted. And yet the Bible says that they were praying and singing hymns to God. See, sometimes it doesn't make sense to worship to your mind. And you're going to say, the last thing I want to do is to worship God because I wonder, where is God right now? And in my pain, where is God? And how could this happen? And why would this happen? And God, I thought you said that you would protect me. And God, I thought you said that you would keep me. But this doesn't feel like that at all. 
See, the Bible actually talks about making a sacrifice of praise unto God. It comes out of Hebrews chapter 13. It says, for this world is not our permanent home. It says, we are looking forward to a home that is yet to come. He says, therefore... Why would he say, therefore, because of what I just told you, now do this. He says, because you understand that this is not my eternal home. He says, let us offer through Jesus Christ a continual sacrifice of praise, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. When we worship, I'm actually pledging allegiance to Jesus. I'm saying, Jesus, you are my Savior and you are my Lord. And it doesn't matter the circumstances that I'm going through. My experience in life does not change the attitude of my worship. But my worship can change the experiences that I have. That's the truth. Is that so many times we want to allow all of life to affect how we worship. And we miss the whole point that our worship will actually change our experience and our circumstances and the situations. And so we have to begin to lift up our voice and we have to begin to worship God even in the midst of the pain. Even in spite of. And we have to say, God, I don't feel like it, but right now I'm going to lift up my worship to you because it's all I've got. All I have is brokenness and I have pain. But I know that as I worship you, that you're going to respond to me. And that you're going to bring healing into my life. And so I'll declare that you're good when everything in my life says, no, he's not. And so we worship through the moment. We worship through the pain. We worship through the hurt. We worship through the questions. Look, just because I stand up here does not mean that I don't have questions for God. I have questions too. But this is what I know is that God has proven himself faithful in the past. And that there will be some questions that I will go to heaven with. But I'm okay with that because I'm going to worship now in spite of. So many times we want to just wait for our emotions. Oh, I just want to, I I need to just feel like worshiping. You're probably not going to feel like it when you need to. Remember earlier when I told you about the woman with the alabaster box, I told you that her worship cost her something. It's easy to worship on the, on the winning side, on the celebratory side. But what about those dark moments, those hard moments, those difficult moments, the ones we don't want to talk about? God is still faithful in the middle. God is still faithful in the darkness. God is still faithful in the silence. When we pray and there seems to be no answer given. Habakkuk 3 verse 17 and 18 says this. He's an Old Testament prophet, but he penned this and it says, Even though, and I've highlighted this phrase because it's three times he makes this declaration. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms. If there were no blossoms, there was also no fruit. So what's the point of the fig tree? It says there are no grapes on the vines. So what's the point of the vine? Even though the olive crops fail and the fields lie empty and barren. 
Even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Even though, even in the midst of all of my questions, even in the midst of everything that I don't understand, yet I will worship the Lord my God. Why? Because He is my salvation. He is the joy of my life. He is the focus of all that I have. He's what my life is orienting around. So it doesn't matter what I experience in my day-to-day life. I have a God who loves me. I have a God who is faithful to me. And as I begin to worship, something in the natural will begin to happen. See, Paul and Silas were in solitary confinement. They're in the inner part of this prison. Even though my back hurts, even though I can't get comfortable, even though I'm in pain, God, at midnight, in my darkest moment, at my darkest time, I'm going to begin to pray and I'm going to begin to worship God. Why? Because worship is spiritual. It is not natural. It is actually warfare. And we think that it's a song. No, you're, you're in an army that is going forth to wage war against the enemy. And you're like, this doesn't even make sense. We'll talk about it next week. It picks up back in Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 25. And it says, suddenly, everybody say suddenly. Suddenly. What, ha- what does suddenly mean right now? Like turn on a dime. Suddenly something shifted. At midnight, they're in pain and they're hurting and they're, they're in this dark, damp prison. Because that's the way prisons were. They were in the lowest parts of the prison. Water runs downhill. It says suddenly there was a massive earthquake. You're like, man, God, really? They've had a really bad day and this, this one's not starting off real good either. There's an earthquake. And it says that the prison was shaken to its foundations. It says all the doors flew open immediately and the chains of every prisoner fell off. See, there are times in our worship that we need to get a little bit rowdy. Why? Because you're facing something. You know, there's a song that I've been listening to for probably the last two or three weeks now. And there's a line in it that I love. It's actually called Same God. It's from Elevation. You can check it out. But there's this one line in it that I love. It just, man, it hits me. It's talking about David and God's faithfulness to David. And he says, I may not face Goliath, but I have my own giants. And that's just a very felt thing. Look, we all have things that we're facing. And just as it says here, is that as they were praying and worshiping, it says that the, the prison was shaken. And I'm here to tell you this morning that if you will take the time... And if you'll focus your heart, that even in the midst of all of the chaos and the pain, and you'll pray and you'll worship, is just what happened here. It says that the prison, that which had been holding them down, all of a sudden was shaken. And something happens in the spirit realm when we begin to worship God and we begin to open up our heart to him is that those things and those chains and those doors and the the things the enemy has brought into our life to destroy it, all of a sudden the power and the weight of those things begin to break. See, sometimes we want to pray and ask God to fix things. Maybe we should just worship God and then he will just fix things. 
if we'll just focus on him, he can take care of the rest. But let's just focus, stop focusing on the problem and just start saying, God, you're big. You're great. And there may be a giant in front of me, but man, God, you are faithful just like you did it for David with Goliath. You're going to do it for me with this. I don't care if it's a situation in your life. I don't care if it's financial. I don't care if it's physical, if it's relational. God will move when we worship. The end of the story continues and it says that the jailer woke up to see all the doors wide open and he presumed that everybody had escaped. Of course. What do prisoners do when the doors open? They run. This is a miracle in and of itself. The prisoners are just like, holy cow, what just happened? We thought these guys were lunatics over here praying and singing. All of a sudden an earthquake, everything starts shaking. Chains start falling off the doors and they're just stunned. I really believe that's what happened. Because left to themselves, them jokers would have been running. I'm out of here. It says that he assumed that everyone had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. Because that's what would have happened to him anyways. He would have been tortured and killed because he was given the assignment. Whatever you do, don't let these guys go. It says, the jailer called for some lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they responded and said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. See, your worship actually resonates with others. When they see that you've walked out of something, you've walked through it, you've walked out of it, and you're still declaring the goodness of God. They're going to say, what is that? What do you have? It's the presence of God. See, here's, here's just the truth about their situation. Is that they may have been in the prison physically, but they could not be locked down spiritually. This is good news for somebody. I don't care what is in front of you this morning. I don't care what the situation is, how hopeless, how bleak, how it's over, it's done. It's finished. You may be looking at a situation that says that, but you still serve a God of the suddenly and you still serve a God that responds. He's looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Why? Because God responds to worship in a powerful way. To the point where it says that the prison doors begin to fling open and and the, the chains that bound would begin to fall off. There's something special and unique about worship and about coming before God and lifting up our voice and lifting up our heart to God. And saying, God, I need you in this moment. See, all they could do was pray and worship. They had no other options. What else were they going to do? They ain't going nowhere. They're stuck. But I've got good news for you. As long as you can do that, as long as you can pray, as long as you can stir up some hope in your heart and pray, because you got to have hope before you can have faith. Like, well, what's the difference? Hope is an expectation. Something some better is going to come to me. I don't know what, I don't know when, but God, I trust you that I'm going to stir up my hope. I'm going to say that God is faithful to me. And you're going to have to talk, you're going to have to give yourself a little pep rally sometimes. And talk yourself until you're happy. And you're like, I don't want to do that. Then stay miserable. Stay in your prison. Stay in your chains. 
But at some point, you'll get tired of that prison. And at some point, you'll get tired of the chains. And at some point, you'll get tired of those things that are hindering you and holding you back. And what will come out of it is all of a sudden, you will find yourself praying. And you will find yourself worshiping. And you will see God respond. And there will be a suddenly story that you will have that says that, man, this is the way it was going. And then suddenly, God stepped in and everything changed. Because why? We serve a supernatural God. He is not limited to our ability. No, he has his ability and it's way beyond us. See, the devil wanted to silence them. That was his goal. Take them to the dungeon. Put them in the dark place. Put them in the bottom of the... But what happened was, is that they began to lift up their voice and that sound began to rise up through that prison. And because that sound began to rise, it affected the whole prison. Think of it this way. Everywhere their worship went was affected by it. Everywhere their worship went. It was affected by their worship. You're like, I don't like the attitude and the, of my home. Start worshiping. You're like, in my home? Absolutely. Put some songs on. Begin to sing around your house. Begin to pray over your house. This is a place of peace. This, this is a place of comfort. We don't fight. We don't argue. The presence of God fills this place. I'll challenge you. Whatever you listen to, just go find a Christian radio station. Listen to it for one week. Nothing else. Don't listen to secular radio. If you want to, get Apple Music, get Spotify, get one of those. Go find you somewhere and only listen to that for one week and come back next Sunday and tell me, man, this was a much better week. Why? Because worship matters. Music matters. See, worship is spiritual warfare. Now, I know just that term, people are like, oh, that's weird stuff. It's really not. Let me say, it doesn't have to be weird. Do some people make it weird? Absolutely. I've said it many, many, many times, and I will say it from now until I go to heaven. Is that God isn't weird. The Holy Spirit isn't weird. People are weird, and they blame it on God. God is not weird at all. He's loving, and he's kind, and he's gracious. Let me read you one last passage of scripture that gives us some instructions. It's in Ephesians 5. It says, so be careful how you live. Be careful how. Be careful how you live. Pay attention how you're living. It says, don't be like fools, be like those who are wise, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. We live in evil days. Yet the scriptures tell us, make the most of every opportunity. It says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. God has an assignment for you. First and foremost, your assignment is to be a worshiper. First. Before I'm a pastor, before I'm a husband, before I'm a dad, I'm a worshiper to God. God, I am your servant here to do what you want me to do. Above my job, I'm a worshiper first. I was created to worship. You were created to worship. So it says, don't act thoughtlessly. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. It goes on here and it says, don't be drunk with wine for this will ruin your life. Like, see, I knew God was a buzzkill. 
I guess you could use that two ways, couldn't you? Did anybody just get that joke, by the way? Man. That was a good preacher joke. I'm just saying, y'all missed it. I'm just saying. It's okay to laugh in church. He says, don't be drunk with wine because why? This will ultimately ruin your life. This word drunk with wine actually isn't just the consumption of alcohol. It actually says wild and riotous living. So don't get hung up on that because he says what? In the end, it'll destroy your life. Here's one of the best things about God. He never asks you to lay something down that he doesn't say do this instead. Why? Because you have to replace it. And he says here, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, but instead, in place of, be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do I get filled with the Holy Spirit? How do I get the presence of God into my life? How can I experience God's goodness in my life? He goes on here and he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your heart and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when this becomes our habit, when this becomes the norm, and we begin to worship not just corporately together, but when we begin to do it tomorrow morning, when things begin to hit, and all of a sudden we're like, "Woo, church was good yesterday, but it's Monday. <laughs> or maybe it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, one of those other days. You get that phone call that just shifts everything in your week. Be filled with the Spirit. How? How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit on Monday, Thursday? How? In the middle of the night? How? The other options are looking good right now. Be filled with the Spirit. Singing songs and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. Making music in your heart. Why? Because you're, you're replacing the negative Experience the negative emotions and you're shifting them. You're moving away from the prison and you're moving into praise. You're moving into worship. And when you make that decision, you make that shift, things will begin to shake. They really will begin to shake. Like, oh, but I tried that once. Forget about trying it. This has to be who you are. My response needs to be worship. Not frustration. I'm going to show you this. I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to show you next week an account in scripture where the Lord actually gave some pretty crazy instructions. But at the end of the day, the answer came and deliverance came. And that's what matters. And so I, I want to encourage you this morning.